Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bainey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, specifically as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. This episode, we'll be reviewing a piece from not only an Appendix N author, but by the author whose work inspired the creation of the sword and sorcery genre. We are speaking, of course, of Robert E. Howard and his unstoppable creation, Conan. All that, and we will help to bring this offering to life at your DCC RPG table. I'm Jen. With me tonight are our lovable sugar Wookiee, David. Hello, everyone. And our guffawing maestro, <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Hello, that's everybody. Not, that's not quite the guffaw, but we'll have to deal with that. It'll blow up my sound levels. <laughs> Maestro's the nicer of the adjectives there. Our selection for this episode is The Jewels of Gwalior by Robert E. Howard. Bob? Conan, following legends of this treasure, has traveled to Kishan and offered his services to train and lead Kishan's army against their neighbor, Punt. However, Thutmekri, a Stygian rogue with similar intentions, and his Shemetish partner, Zargiba, also arrive in the country with an offer of a military alliance with another of Punt's neighbors, Zimbabwe, with some of the teeth to seal their pact. The high priest of Kishan, Gurugla, announces that a decision on the matter can only be made after consulting Yalea, the mummified oracle of Alkminon. This is all the treasure hunters require. Zargiba joins Garulga in his expedition while Conan travels ahead of them. Nicely awesome. done. Yes, uh, all those fancy words, Bob, you nailed, so I just wanted to give you a kudos there. <laughs> Thanks. I would have passed out on the floor trying to pronounce half those words. We'd find you in the apartment later. You know. <laughs> Sadie would find him in the apartment. Yeah, yeah. She, she'd do some CPR, but seriously, uh, kudos to that, because Zimbabwe is the only word I think I could have done <laughs> Well, and exactly. Zimbabwe is there because it's Hyborian Africa, so it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Sort of. Slightly different spelling, but yeah. recognizable at least. So while we're on the topic of pronouncing words, why don't we talk about what we thought about the general uh, writing as it stands? What do you think, Bob? Well, right off the bat, Conan is the original sword and sorcery hero. I mean, mm-hmm. the term was coined by Fritz Leiber in response to a letter from young Michael Moorcock. So, what isn't there to love? <laughs> You've got devious foes, a mighty feud hero, intrigue, <laughs> battle. Uh, Howard's prose is wholly evocative of the genre. It is the genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say a DCC judge certainly is hard-pressed to find a better inspirational material. To paraphrase DCC itself, Conan. He's no hero. He's a reaver, 
a cut purse, <laughs> a heathen slayer who seeks gold and glory, winning it with sword and spell, caked in the blood and filth of the weak, the dark, the demons, and the vanquished. Granted, some of the language in the story is a little problematic by today's standards for today's audience. The racial descriptors used might make some folks uncomfortable, but to Howard's credit, he generally used terms in descriptive fashions as opposed to disparaging, and so the story is certainly still readable, but it might be a little awkward for some. He's nowhere near as controversial as, say, Lovecraft is right now, but his... Uh, <laughs> His depictions of women as well as peoples of various ethnicities kind of stand apart as being written in an earlier time. See, I don't know. I thought that was actually fairly well done compared to some authors. I have to agree. I, nothing nothing seemed like it was off for me, but, you know, there... Well, again, again he was descriptive as opposed to, you know, yeah. offensive. But keep in mind that people have edited Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. Well, <laughs> you're right. There was none of that language used, but... I, I rather liked the, the description of the kingdom of Kishan. You've got the hinterlands made of a mixed race, most of them being black skin, and their rulers who were white, who were descended from Alcminon, which is the locale of the teeth of Gwalior. And that definitely a correlation to Africa in that yeah. way. I think it reflects Africa at the time the story was written. You gotta also think that last episode we did Lynn Carter, who was taking some liberties with young children, and we kind of got a little slightly creeped out by that. So, I well, think yes, yes, a, yes, we did. Uh, the, the characters were not necessarily the author. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's not get the yeah. Carter estate after us. No, no. But uh, you're right. You know, this was what 1935, and just the very classic descriptions of the acolytes following the priest their shaven black heads with just an ostrich feather affixed as part of their assemblage I thought it actually painted a really nice picture I agree his imagery is really nice yeah I think uh, I love the descriptives one of the things that I hate you know I feel like I'm gonna get stoned for this but this was my first Howard story I've read um I don't know how I missed all these stories growing up, being that I played Dungeons and Dragons since the age of seven or eight. But wow, um, dude! Yeah, I know, I know. You guys don't can feel bad. Up. Jen had never read a Robert E. Howard story either. Don't let her fool yeah. you. I was Anybody... raised under a rock, dude. Come on. Uh, well, I don't know what happened to me, but it happened. So if you want to stone me at the next con you see me at, guys, uh, listeners, feel free to. I understand. But yeah, I definitely dug the descriptives. I think a judge could take this book and probably any of the other stories that Howard's wrote. And first off, the descriptives really just... I, I was very almost jealous of the way he was using words to describe things. He almost seemed to hit on all the senses when he was you know, taking you out and describing the scenery or uh, any of the other parts of the story. So I think that uh, Howard's definitely got a knack for it. But definitely dug most of that. My favorite quote, uh, I don't know if you guys, do you remember, what was the name of the movie? Was it uh, Tom Hanks, the baseball movie? Where a coaching, League of Their Own. A League of Their Own, when he was screaming at him, telling him, you can't you can't cry during baseball. There was a part where Conan was yelling at uh, one of the typical, I guess, maidens in the story, and she was crying, and he asked, are you crying? There's no crying. Uh, excuse me, I think he says, a goddess doesn't cry like a whip schoolgirl. So I was like, that's kind of <laughs> cool. I'd like to read more of his stories, and if anything, guys out there for your homebrew this is a really good primer for you to read and just kind of leech off some of the descriptives to kind of make your own stories and adventures sound really cool (laughs) well and let's face it without howard there would be no appendix in exactly i actually found most of it more eloquent than 
a lot of other Appendix N that we've gone over. Yeah, I agree. Granted, the backgrounds were a lot more flowery than any DCC adventure. <laughs> I love some of the turns of phrase, like Misty Legends and you know, out on the jungle floor, it was a primordial silence. Yeah, exactly. Well, and this should give David hope, because you know, Robert E. Howard was just kind of a you know, down-home boy from Texas who lived with his mama. <laughs> So, oh, that was my first cackle for the show. Enjoy that, guys. <laughs> We're getting there. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Maybe there is hope for me yet. So, what sort of things would you guys stat up from this short story? Well, I guess I could take this one. I think the Sumerian uh, race could be a write-up if you really wanted to get into the Conan a storyline and, and kind of sculpt a campaign using DCC. If you got some folks that really dug the stories, then why not hit on that passion that they have and dump them into this world? I love some of the creatures in the story. There was these part demon men that seem kind of supernaturally strong and, and went toe-to-toe with the barbarian, which was kind of cool. This story could very easily uh, be made into... And don't you tell me you're holding me to it. Uh, could definitely be made into a short adventure. I'm holding you to it. Because uh, into the story, you know, normally the treasure is taken at the end. Well, you know, Conan has to make a choice at the end of this one. And unfortunately, the treasure is lost. So who's to say that you don't run into Conan in like a tavern and he's drunk and, you know, weaving tall tales about his last adventure where he almost had this treasure in his hand. And the the party kind of says, well, hey, you know, maybe we can go check this out. Maybe we can get this little chest of treasure that Conan lost. So I think that would be kind of cool. Which is funny because in the book, that's kind of what he does. He grabs some, some whispered intel <laughs> and goes off to try to go around them to get it. Yeah. Very crafty. What you bought? Well... This one was kind of tough. Because of the length of the story, there's a definite dearth of things yeah. to stat. I can only think of a handful myself, and it's mostly because of opportunities for new classes. The Sumerian Barbarians certainly deserve a class to themselves, and based on the descriptions, interestingly enough, they would be lawful. If you really look at how honor-bound they talk about the Sumerians being in the story... The concept of lawful barbarians is so different from the way I've seen barbarians commonly played. I think that'd be really neat and open up some interesting opportunities for kind of a mixture of thief and and warrior. Well, you've read, I'm sure, plenty of Howard's stories, Bob. So does Conan suffer from the typical... Uh, statted up rage i mean does he fly into the black? oh no uh conan one of the wonderful things about the stories is conan is incredibly strong but he's also incredibly smart and he also has a sense of humor in several of the stories he's a general leading armies so no there's certainly none of that you know primal berserker rage he's more of a he's really more inspired by i would say the celts than the vikings that's fair yeah, it's kind of funny because all these classes are so stereotypical with their rage abilities, and here is the the one original. character that <laughs> probably is the original, you know, origination of all these classes, and he doesn't rage. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yep. Let's see. Uh, Princess Yalea could be written up as a patron, based on how she's perceived in the story, and yeah, the demonish, ape-like servants of Bityakin would make for a great monster write up. Monkey demons. Yeah, monkey demon. Well, he, but those are those are in Carnival of the Damned. Uh, <laughs> of course, pretty much any of the characters in the story would be worth statting up as NPCs. 
I always thought it'd be fun to take like the secondary characters from all of these great appendix end stories and run an adventure called We Were Almost With The Band. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What about you, Jen? Um, you know, it's interesting because when when Conan looks at the mural, he sees uh, Bityakin's servants had been killed and taken to the river, but there were these others that had survived and were still guarding the treasure. Those servants could be a class of their own. Yeah. As opposed to just a monster write-up. In that case, Bityakin would be the patron. Oh, no, that's a really neat way to look at that. I yeah, I was thinking that. the same thing. And since we have all of the barbarian classes and everything, you could write up a couple custom Mighty Deeds of Arms. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Ooh. One of the quotes in there was Conan attacking with Thew and Fury. So I was like, ooh, the mighty Thews. <laughs> <laughs> um, there were the bestial shrines that were passed in the caverns before getting to the niche where the jewels were kept. Yeah, that was uh, cool. It kept saying, you know, they were bestial, they were repulsive, obscene, some squatting all toad-like, each more disgusting than the last. And toward the end, the girl who had actually been slipped in to replace Yalea on her dais was chained to the statue of one of these. And as the acolytes descend toward the Crypt of the Teeth, they were constantly chanting so there could be a ritual about how you have to approach the treasure. Maybe it unlocks certain traps or doors or whatnot in order to get down to them and even be able to approach them. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Totally. I'm digging you, Jen. (laughs) Right? I'm braining today. It hurts a little. (laughs) And, of course, the the teeth of Gwalior, who's to say they aren't magical in some way? You could definitely stat something up kind of cool. You know, I still think the gem that was sitting in the big mound of hair atop the the princess's head. Yeah. Or the the oracle. Yeah, same person. And she was just bizarre as well. Maybe there's a a spell that allows her body to remain intact while she's dead. Yeah. Maybe she's a Catholic saint. (laughs) Creepy, Bob. All right. So, Dave, your forte is the props and audio stuff. As far as props go, there's a ton of stuff that you could use. I thought instantly about bringing a couple of bottles of baby oil to the table and letting everybody oil up Conan-esque. And, <coughs> uh, some furry loincloths. Um, actually, you know... This oh, dear can, God. I, I know. I'm going to stop. Because, we're, we're PG, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was strictly PG, all right? But Pretty yeah, gross. As far as the props go... You know, this was a very short story, and there really wasn't, to me, other than the the teeth themselves and the chest, there wasn't a whole lot that I saw. I mean, I I like the descriptors of what some of the folks were wearing, like the ostrich feathers, so you could definitely head to your local zoo and try not to get arrested while you collected (laughs) ostrich feathers. You can buy those at your local Ren Fair, you know. It's more fun to go to the zoo, Bob. Um, (laughs) So you could do that if you wanted to. But... Uh, you know, with the props, I came up a little short on this one just because I think the, what was it, about a 50-page short short story? Oh, I don't think it was even that long. Yeah, so Most I of the Conan stories are pretty short. Musical-wise, I think that you go back, good Lord, 
what was it, the 80s, the early 80s, where there were so many B-rated barbarian movies? Oh, yeah, the mm-hmm. 80s sword and sorcery boom. Yeah. Who were the barbarian brothers? Do you remember those guys? Yes, and they were billed, they they were the barbarian <laughs> brothers. They even showed up in DC Cab, and they were billed as the barbarian brothers. Exactly. So uh, there's plenty of movies if you want to, like, nab some of these soundtracks off of, uh, I don't know if any of them are Spotify or not, but uh, you could definitely hit YouTube and, and possibly... Uh, leech some sounds off of that but as far as the music goes there's tons of movies i'm not even going to name the number one movie that we all could use as an example but uh there were scenes <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll leave that to bob um there were scenes in the uh in the book i think that would lend themselves very well to some background noise when conan actually there was a scene or excuse me a, a part of the story where he falls into this torrential river or this quick river that was sweeping him away i mean you could very easily insert some river rapid kind of sound effects in uh when he started the adventure he was kind of in a jungle area so you know throwing some uh jungle noises and birds and stuff i think kind of helps set the stage for the adventure so that's what I got. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, you're right. For me, when it comes to music, there is one answer, and that <laughs> is the epic Conan the Barbarian soundtrack of yep. Basil Polidorus. The rich orchestral music, the booming drums, the swelling brass flowing strings. There is no other music that is so firmly connected to the character of Conan as as that. There you go. Uh, unlike so many of the films that followed it in the 80s, uh, Conan <laughs> the Barbarian didn't shiv off with cheap music or synths. So, and when I'm when I'm writing, that's what I listen to. It's 100% pure Conan, so much so that they took most of the tracks and just reused them for the second movie. Um, <laughs> as for props, yeah, you're right. It, the story is kind of thin on that sort of detail. I think it'd be easy enough to recreate the ancient manuscript with some parchment-style paper and some unintelligible fonts. Oh, yeah. You know, you could give it, like, a light coffee or tea wash afterwards, give it some nice staining to make it look old. Oh, yeah, or, or use the homemade paper, even. The one thing I'd suggest people avoid is the whole burn-the-edges trick, because generally that just leaves something looking like it was burned, not aged. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so, of course, the setting for the story is Hyborian Africa. So that opens up some, you know, general things, pieces of African-style art and idolatry could help set the feeling. And when you're talking about those strange idols and they get kind of more uh, toad-like and Petrachian, which to me screams, you know, Tsathagwa of the, the Lovecraft <laughs> mythos. Yeah. At uh, some music stores and at some rent fairs, they've got those wooden, like, musical frogs that have a oh, ridge yeah. down their back, and yeah. you just sort of drag something across that. You could so use something like that as as a prop and as a, I suppose, music note, uh, <laughs> if you were uh, going to run this. There you go, overachieving again. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Jen? Well, yeah, it is a little scant, but there were some things that the visuals were really created for me, like the rooms that were kind of monochrome. You know, there was the golden room with just the ivory dais, or the cobblestones leading into an area with the blue dais. And Conan even walks over and tests it with his sword to see if there's a hidden panel in it. All of the color descriptions, like, Geez, are are we yeah. reading Poe again? Well, and his stuff, especially this story, is more character-driven than gimmick or shtick-driven. So it really is about the characters as opposed to all sorts of weird, fantastic things. 
just a few. Right. You know, if you wanted to go the way of uh, the visuals, you could create a little mural with some of the pictograms. If you have one of those uh, shrunken head props, you could oh, use yeah. that. Because oh. he finds one of the people he's searching for, he sees the face, but it's higher above than it should be, and he realizes it's just his head, it's not his body hanging from the tree. We still don't know where his body went. Yeah, if you were playing a game at night, and you had a balcony, and you hung a head off of it, that might actually creep some money out pretty bad. Yeah, like mm -hmm. the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> and the responding officers. Yeah. <laughs> If you want to bring a couple friends over, you could have them step out of the shadows at a critical point. Oh, no, you know. you're, you're going <laughs> to scare somebody to death with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much where you guys were. Anything with the African, you know, just to lend it that foreign feel. Most people playing swords and sorcery stuff are used to the stereotypical dungeon or old medieval feel. So it really does kind of help to put them in a different place. Yeah, so... What about kind of existing DCC inspirations and reskins, Jen? You mean going from places they've already been? I gotta say, the Jewels of the Carnifex is the obvious leader in my head here. You've got the, well, the jewels, the oddly cut gems. You've got plenty of religious zealots going on here. And once the Carnifex emerges, she could almost be akin to the Oracle. You have to get past certain traps and puzzles to get to her. And besides that, the 13th skull kind of stood out in my head, especially when you have the gulfs separating parts of the cavern, and there's a room of gold visited at one point. Mm, yeah, that's true. I know we're going to cross over on this one, Treasure Vaults of Zadabad. Uh, yeah. I think you had a different thought than I did, Bob, but I was thinking specifically of the natives that protect their holy places and their ancient treasures. Which definitely fits the story very well. Besides those, you've got some pretty evocative cavern scenes between Black Sun Deathcrawl and that Dark Trails thing I keep hearing about. Ooh. The end scene in one of David's modules that he's putting together really, really reminded me of the final chase on this one. Ah. You've got modules like Tower Out of Time and Frozen in Time where you have gray hairy devils. They're not <laughs> ape nor man. <laughs> Are you talking about me and Bob? Ook. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't, but... <laughs> and, and there's a bit of a jungle feel in Tower Out of Time as well. So that kind of hit me. And, of course, Grimtooth's Museum of Death. Yeah. Of course. There was a trap, there was another trap, there was another trap. <laughs> yeah. That's fair, but unlike Grimtooth's Museum of Death, there wasn't a death followed by another death, then by another death from sure the trap, was. the trap, the trap. Oh, yeah. Just not his. Yeah, just not his. Yeah. We, we rocked Joe Bittman on that playtest. <laughs> he was so mad at us. He still has nightmares <laughs> about that. Nobody died in the first room. Nobody died in the first hour. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Bob? Well, the first story that sprung to mind for me was Blood of the Serpent King. Ooh. It's got that lost jungle temple vibe. And mm. It had a really nice yeah. match for the flavor of this adventure. 
Now, the the storyline for that adventure is certainly very different from this one. I think it's pretty fair to say it definitely has a Robert E. Howard feel to it. You've got the serpent man god thing that is very evocative of Robert E. Howard's serpent men who appear on the (laughs) spine of the paperback DCC book. Just totally Conan and Robert E. Howard. Treasure vaults of Zadabad... For me, again, it's that ruins in the jungle feel that's so pervasive in this story. Uh, you can just sort of feel the the humidity and how cloying the temperatures are. It just really sets that, that atmosphere. And I was also thinking Tales from the Fallen Empire, which has a barbarian class, would be a great setting to drop this sort of adventure into as well. Oh, that's on my list. I always, yeah. I anytime I go to pick that up at a con, it's not there. And then, uh, yeah, so I need to get that. Yeah, get it from him directly. Chapter 13 Press. That's what it was. In line with the African theme, putting that in an ancient Egyptian tone kind of makes me think of what Troy Tucker was doing locally a few years ago. Oh, yeah, where he set an entire campaign in, in that fashion rather than an old European style. And yeah, I would have loved it because it was something, you know, it was a different setting. And that exactly. brought things out of the typical dungeon and castle stuff. So what about you, Dave? You hit on just about everything that I was going to say. Um, being from Fire. South Kakalaki, we call it Treasure Vault, so Zadabad. <laughs> so, uh, that's definitely the first thing that popped into my head. That Eric Hoffman, though, I'm not sure I trust him, though. He's kind of a shady guy, so. Uh, nah, actually, he's an awesome guy. But... <laughs> Uh, I like to give him a hard time, but I think I'm actually getting ready to run the Croaking Fane for free RPG day, so that's got a temple, it's in a remote place, and there's a lot of uh, shrines and nastiness, and there's so many DCC adventures. Doom of Savage Kings has got that temple in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's so many. It's almost like just about anything that's got an area in a remote place could really kind of fit for this you know kind of proves how pervasive the exactly yeah it is for the genre oh yeah the um what was it brave halfling press is it the ruins of vermont am i saying that or ramad or sure um, ruins of vermont i think yeah not ramada uh, <laughs> no no i'll just say for almost for a second it's like the ruins of ramada oh wait that's yeah. an mcc adventure right uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that was a pretty good one too where you're doing a uh kind of a temple crawl i guess you'd call it but well hey for that matter you've got something similar in um the making of the ghost ring yeah because you are popped into a couple different places on your mission to me there's very few dcc adventures where you can't with a few tweaks probably fit this this kind of storyline into into the adventure and recreate it yeah yeah so there you go well i guess that brings us to our featured adventure for the show unless anyone else has something no, nope. let's do it. We have The Imperishable Sorceress by Daniel J. Bishop. Yay, Daniel. Yay! Yeah. Uh, this was actually the free RPG Day adventure, I want to say, three years ago? Or two years ago. I'll go with three, it sounds better. <laughs> I think it's three. It was actually one that started the funnels for my campaign. Huh. And started the downward spiral of my character, Wilbur. Wilbur. For a quick synop, as the adventurers pass through a mundane door, they are startled to find themselves unexpectedly in a frozen landscape. A distant woman's voice whispers a welcome, and the characters are thrust into a tale of spirits and ancient secrets. Yes. Yes, we were. (laughs) 
So similarities, um, well, we could start with the obvious, the imperishable body. Yep. Uh, Princess Yalea, otherwise known as the Oracle, it pretty much could be Ivrian. Though there is less of a mystery in the adventure than in this particular Conan story as to where the imperishable part comes from, you do actually find this out through the course of the adventure. But when you first see them, it's really... It's a very similar state. Well, and, and Ivrian may not be flesh when she is first seen by the PCs. Yep, you're not sure. It depends on which way you turn as well, which direction you explore in first. Uh, you also find a doppelganger. You see someone with the same dress, the same hair, the same pale skin, just like you would in this particular book. You have savage tribesmen. Hey, those could be the Kashians. Yeah. <laughs> Without throwing anything around there. You know, right off the bat, you've got an opening in the side of a mountain that leads to the sacred place, or, you know, where the main action is. There's big theming in both with the daises and the thrones. If you're lucky in the adventure, you'll find some pictographs which will tell stories of the past, as Conan read. There are plenty of secret doors and complicated-looking mechanisms in both. There are also various exits, despite the first appearances. And I've got to throw out, there is an illustration on the title page of a toad idol that Peter Mullen did that just totally goes with the idols Conan keeps finding in the caverns. Well, and this adventure really is, I think, pretty much the perfect blend if you wanted to take the story and merge it with an adventure. The parallels are really strong. The adventure itself stands alone beautifully, but is simple enough to tweak or change and add things for a little bit of reskinning without losing the original feel. Without giving anything away about the adventure, there is kind of a secondary threat that could easily be replaced by you know, the gray apes by the servitors oh yeah as as opposed to uh, what they are in the adventure and it's just a fun fun adventure i still tell stories from that one <laughs> so does jen generally with her face in her hands but... how did you know yeah i i mean there's a quote in the conan story here that uh was it uh garuga was a priest who honestly believed his oracle and couldn't be bribed. And that kind of brings me to the underlying tone of the Imperishable Sorceress. There is a a very inherent belief system going on. You may not see it as a player. If you're lucky, you won't see half of the underlying plot stuff. Because if you do, your character's hair might turn white, or he might become a widower. Well, when when you gotta throw someone's head down a ravine, you gotta throw someone's head you down gotta a ravine. Do it. Love yep. you, baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so essentially, you know, Edgar Johnson did Blood of the Serpent King, really captures the Conan vibe really well. Daniel J. Bishop does the Imperishable Sorceress, and again, it captures that that Robert E. Howard vibe. If yeah. you you you've just read one of the stories and it's fresh in your mind. You can totally see the influences. Oh, yeah. I have to say, same with the Jewels of the Carnifex, with the overarching story in there and the other religious faction against her. It's 
Yeah, you could definitely see where the influence came in. Oh, if it wasn't for the imperishable sorceress, I think Jewels of the Carnifex would have been would have been our lead story. Well, I, just for yeah, the, the name, maybe, but <laughs> well, no, just because again, the the similarities are there. It's because Howard is so pervasive that a lot of the concepts that were new and original when he wrote them are now kind of pervasive in gaming culture, and so you can see those those bits and pieces, and they match up really nicely. Yeah, honestly, it was the the body of the woman being duped out by the doppelganger that really clinched this one for me. When you find somebody that looks just like her, but, you know, David, just for you, I, I gotta mention, Conan did call her a dancing girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can't get enough of that. <laughs> but See, she, was now... crying. she was crying like a schoolgirl, though. <laughs> She did lose the treasure. <laughs> now that you have actually read a Conan story, because you know I've heard on and on, you know thoughts about Conan before you read a Conan story. So now that you've read one, what do you think? I definitely did see Conan from the movies while I was reading this, and I I was kind of wondering where his entourage was. <laughs> That's the only thing it was missing from the story, I think. There's and in much. other Conan stories, he certainly has has folks with him, but uh, not in this one. He did have the recurring villain, or yes. nemesis, sorry, uh, who was obviously a, a rogue of some sort. Thief. Yes, the Stygian. Yes. I thought it was cool. Um, I definitely will read some more of Howard. I think it's, uh, like you said, I think early on when I, when I mentioned it, it's uh, the story itself was great, but I just found myself just reading the descriptives and rereading them because I think he really just has a great way of, of describing things to kind of put you there. They're really small. We can get stuff. you more. Yes. <laughs> so on that note... Time for some road crew shout-outs? Yeah, give us some road crew shout-outs. All right, we'll start with a friend of the show, Troy Tucker, who frightens me with his uh, selfie pics. He's, he's a bad man. <laughs> You guys get the chills that I get when I, I look at him because I mean I almost no. get the feeling he's. I'm like, finally looking at Nick at, at Nicholas Cage's head on a cupcake. So yeah, oh, Troy well. Tucker doesn't scare me. <laughs> well, Troy Tucker, great friend and awesome supporter of DCC, continues to run games every Friday night at Shamrock Comics, and that is located in Port Charlotte, Florida. How far away is that from you guys? A uh, little over two hours, maybe mm. a little under, depending All on day. Right. Okay. Um, we have a large number of judges that will be spreading the DCC love at Gen Con Indy. Guys, don't miss us when August 4th through the 7th, uh, including a seminar with the creative team of Goodman Games on how Appendix N continues to inspire game design. This is on schedule for Friday night at 8 p.m. And I'll tell you guys, I didn't sign up for any of the games because I'm running quite a few. And I wasn't sure what slots I had, so I just kind of left it blank. But I'm kind of glad I didn't because uh, Goodman is putting on some awesome seminars for those of you who are trying to kind of get your start in the self-publishing, whether it be for Kickstarters or um, a book design. When you actually go to print, there's a lot of these seminars on the, the calendar. So if you didn't get into the events... Definitely look for some of those because you'll see me in there, like tooling <laughs> with pad and pen, taking notes. Isn't one of the seminars hard to write adventures that don't suck? Yeah, but you know called? that's one that's been going on for uh, I think a couple, a couple of years. Couple years, now. yeah. I, I yeah. Didn't li- I didn't listen to that one um, when I wrote the carnival. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. Self-deprecation um, for the win. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, so some new stuff on the, the books there, so I think you guys will get some great information off of that. I think that one's kind of pertinent for us, yeah. too. And there'll be a lot of tournaments. Um, it's, it's hard to get the games you want these days with DCC. You guys know that. It fills up fast, so... Um, one way around that, don't don't despair because there's tournaments. I think there's probably going to be MCC tournament. Am I mistaken with that? I'm not sure. Uh, in, maybe in I know there's I know there's DugCon in Catastrophe Island three. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't want DugCon yeah. doesn't take generic tickets, but the other tournaments do. Yeah. So. And you could you could sit down, and get up, sit right back down. So if you've never played any of the DCC tournaments, I'll actually be running Carnival Dam as well. So Woo-hoo! I'll put a, a foam clown nose on your face and send you home happy. Uh, get in one of these tournaments if you've never tried one because they're a lot of fun. And if you just by chance have some friends that have never tried DCC and they don't want to sit down for a four-hour session, a tournament <laughs> is a perfect way to get a taste of it. And I promise you they won't get up. Yeah. Sit right back down when they get killed. So, if you need more information, go to www.gencon.com/events/91998, and I'm sure uh, Master Brinkman Bob will probably put this link up for you guys. In just I in can case. do that exactly. if he hasn't already. Um, also, we would love to see what you guys create. We harp on this every show. Um, <laughs> the mailboxes are not overflowing, so we don't understand what's going. Do we need to like send you guys candy? What's going on? Um, Dancing girls. Dancing girls will get me riding a lot more. That's for sure. More dice. Exactly. Oh yeah, more dice. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. we want to see what you guys are creating. If you're listening to the show, listen. Let us know. Show us you're listening by submitting some things. Submit your events or creations to us at thehub at sanctum.media. Or you can find us on the regular social media sites. Uh, keep an eye out for our future topics, and we can include your material in the show companion. Please remember, if we do a printed compendium, we're going to need some original art to flesh things out. Um, so get to drawing, scribbling, doodling, whatever you want to do, but send it to us because we need it. Sounds good. <laughs> Love it. Mm-hmm. So anything else, guys, before we wrap this? I think that about covers it on my end. Yeah, I'm going to go read more Conan. Yeah. Well, we hope you've inspired you guys, and thanks for listening. I'm Dave, and I'm saying goodnight. Goodnight, guys. Be inspired. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Again next time when the Sanctum opens to discuss the brackets, the purple priestess of the Mad Moon. The Sanctum Sequorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2016. I'm bored. Me too. This 24th level dark elf barbarian assassin is lame. 
Want excitement? I do. Want adventure? Yeah! Then just open up a vein and pray to the Dark Master. Burn some luck and roll a die. Now you're ready to listen to Spellburn. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. Join the band and party like it's 1974. Hey, guys. Can I play? Sure. Check us out at Spellburn.com or wherever fine iTunes are served. Oh, cool. I summoned a demon horde.